Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is One on One with Jasper Cole, Hollywood's bad guy, and so much more. Actor, talent manager, producer, and more. Now he's sitting down with today's top newsmakers from entertainment, politics, pop culture, and beyond. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Howdy, 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 everybody, and welcome to another edition of One on One with Jasper Cole. This is Mr. Jasper Cole, your host, and we are live, and I am live in Palm Springs, California, and it's our usual Thursday night live show. And if you're listening to this uh, on an archive show, it could be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're just so happy you're listening. Uh, please go on to Facebook and you can follow us there or Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jasper Cole Says, S-A-Y-S, or JasperCole.com, and there's a link for one-on-one with Jasper Cole. Um, it's been an amazing week. So much to talk about, and I couldn't do it without my co-pilot, the one and only, Mr. Ralph Cole Jr. Hello, Jasper. Hello, Planet Eartha. Ralph, I have to tell you, so we're all excited because our special guest today is actor-singer Calvin Orlando Smith, who um, is a, a native Athenian like myself, and we both grew up in Athens. We went to different high schools. We, we briefly connected right after high school, right before we both kind of launched our uh, theatrical careers. But if there's, if, if there's another African-American talent who has your energy, Ralph, and your passion and your enthusiasm, it's Calvin Orlando Smith. So I'm so oh, happy you guys so nice. are going to meet today. I'm, I, <clears throat> I am so excited. Um, just watching his reels and his foot I mean, and his footage, he is just a whole world onto himself. A he fabulosity. Is, he is a fabulosity. He is planet Eartha, just <laughs> it, it squared. And I've prepared something, Jasper. Yes. You're not wanna put your knee on my neck no more. You showed your true color, now we know the score. No knee on my neck, ace of spades from the deck, that's a telling sign. You're not going to put your knee on my neck this time. In honor of George Floyd, every person that has died at the hands of police brutality, uh, bravo, brava, and that was beautiful, Ralph. Thank you, Jasper. I've been um, so moved by everything that is 
gone on in the news for the past few months, of course, but then it culminated on this past Saturday after the Saturday after election night. And you and I have had such passionate conversations about so many things. And because we both talk about our binariness and (laughs) how, how things happen in society and the culture that, you know, we're just not happy with. And um, so this song came out of me like that because I just felt like we all did. There was, it was truly a, a, a lyric from The Wiz, can you feel a brand new day? And mm-hmm. as soon as I heard the news, I felt like, yes, I can feel a brand new day. It actually seems tangible now, a brand new day. Oh, and- my God. Doesn't it just seem, I know, we've done, I know we did a show, you know, Monday night um, with, with Mike Manning. So we've, we've sort of all, we've celebrated a little bit, but it's like, even just in the eight days it's been since the election or I, I, there's just such a lightness. I feel, I notice I'm just not as anxious and I, I don't know. It's just like a, there's a, there's a definitely something's been lifted like a big cloud. Yeah. I, I totally feel that way. And I'm not, being um, woolly naive in that, mm-hmm. oh, just because this new administration is taking place, everything is hunky-dory. Everything is more fucked than mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Now, I mean, we're about to have more corona. It's, just, it's going to be a dismal time for everybody, and that's just being saying it as pleasantly as possible. I want to bring note – I want to bring life – to the fabulous essay written by Calvin Orlando Smith in firing Donald Trump. And I thought that shit was so fucking fierce. That fierce. was so prolific and so fierce. So that needs to be made into a song, uh, that duet, a duet that Calvin and I will perform. But um, no, he hit on some really just such salient points, points that any normal person would agree with. So I want to thank you, Jasper, for always giving me a vehicle to do whatever I want to do for planet Earth on this show. I wanted to um, prepare that piece for you, which there's, I, it's a work in progress, but I wanted to debut it on our show because our Your show voice is, will be heard too, God damn Oh, yes. Yeah. Damn it. You, you know that to be true. And speaking of that, this is a horrible segue and plug for us. But oh, I know that- right, right turn. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm glad you had on your shoulder belt too, girl. Because, yeah, I, 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 I I'm saw, waiting for that airbag to deploy at any moment. <laughs> I will sue your. Triple uh, A Insurance will be suing your ass, your oh, binary God. ass, and, and don't ask why my policy is different than yours. I, <laughs> Planet Earth, that's a whole other private inside joke. But oh my God! Let me I just let me just say, okay. So Ralph and I are both extremely binary. Now I think Ralph will agree. He's a little bit more than me because at times I have to even say to Ralph, "Okay, Ralph, we're we're both in the weeds right now of binariness. So let's let's try to step out of this sometimes." So I like how we have to call each other out on being binary. Oh, my goodness. It is so hilarious. And I don't like to do that thing of 
of I, I don't want to exclude anyone, and that's why I'm glad Jasper just explained it to Planet Eartha what our inside joke was, because you'll hear it also when we talk about boomerangs. Too. That shit is funny. We just have funny things <laughs> with each other that, you know, because. Well, let me let me let me just say, for example, like I'll say to like Ralph and I'll be talking, and I'll say, well, you know, the COVID test, blah blah blah. It says. You know, it's pretty general knowledge that it's sixty-seven percent. Who who says that? Where did you where did you see that? And I'm like, well, it's um, it was on this one. Well, that's but I read a different article. I'm like, <laughs> right. So it could be two opinions, but you generally take the majority of the opinion opinions. Well, I don't understand then. I mean, if it's just and why is one thing different than the other? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so now. I'm going to be the voice of reason. That's like Helen Keller and Stevie Wonder driving the car of oh binaryness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I'm trying to get out of my binaryness to explain to you why and I am just not so black and white. I am and, and Ralph is just hungered down. down. He'll say, well, well, he'll have a question for that question. Like, well, how motherfucking and what, rapid was it? How rapid was your fucking test? Okay, <laughs> and I can and I, and it's funny because I can hear like the disappointment in your voice. So then I get pulled into trying to make you feel better. So I start trying to come up with answers that I think will make you feel better. So it's like that's good, and you should start your day like that. With like affir- some people start with affirmations. You should start your day with how can I make Ralph happy today? What kind of things can I say and possibly do that will enhance Ralph's life and make him laugh and shine I one just, of his? I just erically thought the fact that I still you know returned your texts would be enough, but oh, I guess yeah, yeah. I guess well, you're. That- or at least well, I guess that, you, I talk to you on the phone. I don't just text. Well, so. yeah, I know because you're a deeper, you're a healer. No, you're a healer. But what I was going to say. Well, our you, friendship is a little more than just a text and a Facebook and a. I think I and I an instant so. message. Hula I hoop. believe that too. Send a fax, bitch, and a, wear a, a swim cap. But what yeah, I was trying to call say. Call me from wardrobe. Okay, get me on a trampoline, girl. Okay, Davina. because. How is Davina? Oh, she is fabulous. We talk almost every day. Okay, so so that's. In fact, we'll just do the whole opening with nothing but inside comments. Inside jokes that the audience has no idea. They're not listening. There's only three people listening, and they're high or they're in rehab. Oh my goodness! Well, and Dara is probably one of them, you know. And Dara used to be on our show. I wish Dara would call back in tonight. That would have been fun. But what I've been trying to. State of Planet Earth was that Jasper and I had the wonderful honor of being on Howard Kasner's radio podcast. <clears throat> and it's been a long time since Jasper and I have done an interview together. And I'm mentioning it now, Jasper, because I saw you posted it on Instagram. Our interview, did, our interview was fierce. You were going to ask me if I listened to it, weren't you? No, I was were you Were you about to say, did I listen to it? No, I was getting. Like, did, you get did you get your coffee for the show? Is what I was. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's called. Well, by the way, it's called Pop Art, and it's Howard Kasner, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. But make sure you listen to ours first, and then listen to his. But um, <laughs> but but it's very good. No, it's so so. What he does is he has um he has his guest pick a film, and then he tries to pick. Uh, a, a contra a film with a similar theme but a, um, an opposing style i guess and then we both we, we come together and we discuss the two films 
and Ralph, we picked um, we picked bridesmaids, and he picked monsoon wedding, and then we proceeded to you know break it apart and give our opinions of it. It was fun. Yeah, we were so lively, and it was just you know, and it was. I, I think you said it on his interview. One reason why you wanted to do, start doing the, your radio show ten years ago was to let the planet know, like there was more than you than just this grim, dark side uh, uh, <laughs> serial killer, serial killer, bad Hollywood's bad guy, guy. You know, and that really deep but, down. But is there really after ten years? Is the verdict in on that or out on that? Is there really well, another no, side? Has anyone there, decided? There really is, and when we've had a personal conversation, I'd say, God, you know, what a shame the planet can't see this side of you, you know, oh. because there are some lovely moments, and then we go back to reality, so it's all fine, but, um, you know. But you have to say, you have to, plan, everyone out there, please, you have to notice my Facebook, my, my Facebook posts have changed. I am pro-Biden, Harris. I am all about the future. You will notice there will never be a, a post that mentions you know whose name or anything about the past everything is about moving forward and president biden and vice president kamala harris kamala harris so i feel so much better that i start my day off with a positive post and not anything negative you see what that's what you said earlier it's like you wake up feeling a little bit lighter and it's just a nice feeling and that's the thing and i'm really glad to have this balance I'm not like, oh, my God, like I, I'm repeating myself, but it bears repeating. I am not being a Pollyanna about it, but it's just – and because the thing is, Jasper, no matter what the election outcome was going to be, there was going to be upheaval every, in every fucking city, you know, pro and con. And like I said, Joe and Kamala have a lot of shit to deal with when they mm-hmm. walk in. I, as far as I, – I hope they can rent a bungalow or get a Lyle <laughs> Wagon or a star – Trailer, uh, oh my to, God! Hold uh, on, let me pick. Let me go back to the seventies. Um, you have dropped the dead name of a former Carol Burnett star, Lyle Wagner, who who created Star Wagons. Go ahead. Exactly, and I worked with Lyle, so I, <clears throat> you know, it, it's fun to uh, mention him. But At, for, uh, Planet Earth, for our new listeners, that was called a boomerang. That no, Ralph, that, just, <laughs> he just he just brought it back to himself. That's what we call okay. a boomerang. Yeah. As it always should be. I know. Well, you know, you're going to start waking up and, you know, creating ways to make me happy throughout the day, which is great because you are so busy. Jasper, talk about a hyphenate. He wears so many hats, but whatever. He's fierce. We're here with you, Planet Eartha. We are going to have a fabulous show. It's going, I mean. We're going to go longer today because I, I call, I, Calvin and I had a brief conversation on the phone last night because you know i i don't normally talk to the guests before but i haven't talked to calvin other than you know facebook in all these years and so we but the moment we jumped in we started i was like no 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 no, don't tell me that save it for the show you know and i called ralph and i was like okay buckle up and get ready because it's going to be a joyous ride and the conversation is going to flow so um everyone we're going to probably run over past seven um, so if you want to hang with us, just know that, that we're probably going to go longer tonight. So, which is great. Yeah. yeah. It's so much fun. I mean, Calvin, we are, we are so happy to welcome you to our show because we have so many diverse people on the show and so many great stories and yours is just adding to that prestigious list. 
And, uh, you know, what better time to welcome Calvin to our show when things are so optimistic and he's so bubbly and uplifting Mm -hmm. and, and not to say, and I haven't met Calvin yet, but that's not to say we are, we are deeply realistic about the situations that are going on, but how nice, how nice is it to deal with these problems that we still have knowing that we have some leadership that actually just cares about another human being and won't push you in front of the train, you know? So right. It's- right. And, and, you know, to your point, I mean, when Obama, don't forget, you know, Obama inherited the eight years of the George Bush, you know, financial crisis and disaster. And Biden was right there along the way. So if anybody can step in and, and, and Kamala Harris, you know, basically was our attorney general. So she ran the largest state government in America so she's already dealt with all kinds of crisis, and she also put up with fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger as the governor for a while. Um, but I want before we bring Calvin on, I wanted to just say to everyone that there's there's some Athens friends that are tuning in tonight. Uh, oh, great! And I'm going and I'm gonna use their maiden name, so it's Nancy Birch, hopefully Paula McGill, uh, Judy Pitts, and any other friends of ours from high school, because as I mentioned. Before we bring Calvin on, I want to give a little setup. So, you know, there, we had two high schools. We had Clark Central and we had Cedar Shoals. And even though Athens is not a big town, one was in what's called East Athens and the other was West Athens, I guess. And so, you know, it, it wasn't that far apart, but it was just kind of like, you know, you kind of didn't always meet people from different parts of town. And so, but because Calvin was so fierce and such a musical talent and a theatrical talent while he was in Athens and in high school and doing the town and gown theater, which is the local theater in Athens. Um, I knew of him because as I told him last night, and as you know, Ralph, I was like a closeted thespian, meaning I wanted to be an actor, but I, you know, I, I went the route of the sports and, you know, that whole part of school, but I was a secret uh, thespian in heart, but I would follow the local production. So I knew, knew of Calvin very well. Then when I finally met Calvin, he had this great thing called putting on the Ritz party at this great house he had on a street called Boulevard in Athens. And those of you who know Athens, but they're these great antebellum houses that of course, growing up there, I just took for granted, you know, looking back now, it's like you just grow up around these great old house. It's kind of like West Adams, Avenue right. Ralph, you know, uh, you know, right. uh-huh. that yeah, you just kind of don't even think about the history, but Calvin's been fabulous from day one, but you know, I was Chuck Malcolm back then. I had not changed my name. No one knew I wanted to be an actor. So we, we met briefly. We just knew each other for a moment. I of course made a beeline for California. Um, Calvin, as he will tell us, but here's the interesting thing. We both started, we both got to the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. As you know, Ralph, that's where I met Becky. Well, Becky mm-hmm. and I knew each other, but that's where we got together. We we wrote Willow Springs, got it produced in Atlanta, and then off to California. As and you Calvin met Brooksanne there, too. Well, I right? met Brooksanne uh, in, in L.A. doing oh, okay. doing Willow Springs. But Calvin will tell us, he, on the other hand, he went to the Alliance as a performer and that's where he was in some amazing productions. And from there 
his career soared all over the world. But I think at that point, or at this point, it's the perfect time to bring onto the show our very special guest. Please welcome Mr. Calvin Orlando. (laughs) Howdy, howdy, my friend. How are you? I'm great. That uh, piped-in applause reminded me of the moment Joan Crawford won her Oscar for Mildred Pierce, and she oh. refused to go to the Pantages that evening because she didn't want to lose in public. And then when they called her name out, she won, and she quickly threw on her face, ran out onto the front porch where a few paparazzi had <laughs> appeared, and she said in her bathroom, I'd rather be here with you than anywhere else on earth. <laughs> is that great? Well, yes, but she didn't want to lose in public, and they call her name. She's like, I've got to get, I've got to give myself to my public. Oh my God! Uh, so, Calvin, meet Ralph. Say hello, guys. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Calvin. Hello, Ralph. Welcome to our show. I am so excited to meet you and hear your stories. Yeah, I mean, we don't have very much time. <laughs> okay. Well, I, well, exactly. I already go on and on and on. I already told mm. the audience in the beginning that we're gonna we are we know we're gonna go a little longer tonight because we have uh, okay. we have you and we have so many fabulous stories. So hopefully people will stay on. And if not, this just a reminder, everyone, the show gets you know archived on iTunes and iHeart and Spotify. But I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners who might be tuning in from Athens, Georgia, or all over the South. Um, hi to everybody. I know it's taken 35 years for Calvin and I to get together, but here we are um, finally. And I'm planning on, you know, I want to work with Calvin from Newman Thomas Management, and we hope to to work together from here on out. But but Calvin, I was just mentioning that you were quite the the superstar in Athens long before I met you, and we both kind of went to the Alliance Theater. But tell us. For for our listeners, how going how that was? You also had performed at it, um, the Crystal Pistol, which was Six Flags over Georgia, before you got to the Alliance Theater. Yes, I was uh, uh, I was eighteen. I turned nineteen at Six Flags, and where I made a lot of great friends, and I'm still lifelong friends with a lot of them, including the woman who was my partner, Joanna Greenlee. I recently saw her in Argentina. What she sings. Um, it was very difficult for us on many levels. One, the, a producer didn't like us. He mm. was forced by the inner offices to hire some ethnic or African American children because they had gone three years without seeing you know black kids who, as uh, the complainers would say, you know if we can't play basketball and sing and dance, what the hell are we supposed to do? <laughs> so finally, the uh, t- producer knew that he had to hire. The two, well, two, because they had to be partnered together, uh, black kids. And it was really brutal. It was really cruel. I mean, when you're that young, you need someone to help you mm-hmm. and not critique you so viciously. And then also, in that same time, I was driving back and forth to Atlanta. I had an apartment in Mableton, one in downtown Atlanta. But this is at the very point that Wayne Williams was hunting young people. And I mm-hmm. feel certain at one point, at, during one Saturday afternoon, because you see his face, very distinctive. I could swear I saw a man sitting in the audience watching uh, the show in the Crystal Pistol, Crystal Pistol, which was called In the Good Old Summertime. But, yes, he was actually – he staged himself as a kind of talent scout, and you know what happened to all 29 of those children. 
Right. So I was navigating that landscape because they were, they, we found another body. We found another, and I, you know, I was in the age of the type that he was hunting. So I believe that you know God was really uh, with me and with Joanna and protect us from a lot of racism and even death. It was just it was really hard. But you know, you make it out of that. And the next year, uh, that was I finished eighty two, eighty three. I went in audition for production of the Pirates of Vincent at the Alliance, and I got cast as a pirate. And policemen, in order to view the show, I had to join the union. Of course, mm-hmm. here in L.A., you belong to AFTRA and, and SAG, the union that governs the professional actors and stage managers in America. It's called Equity. So, yes. But once I did uh, Peter Pan, uh, not Peter Pan, first it was Pirates of Penzance, I did a, a string of shows there that were amazing. If you have an opportunity to ever work at a great professional regional theater, these theaters are great. And every year the Tony Committee picks one Regional Theater in America to award its um, a regional Tony, and the Alliance has won it, uh, the Goodwin has won it, Fifth Avenue in St. Louis, the Actors Theater of, of Louisville. So it's very prestigious because you're competing against all of the regional theaters in the country. And yes. it was really nice to, to get my union car and work around such properties because to this day, I've never experienced costumes and sets like they do in Atlanta at the Alliance Theater. They, they spare no expense. And I did a production of the Three Opera there with uh, Keith David, who was uh, is a graduate of Juilliard. He does the voiceovers for Ken Burns' documentary. It's always his voice. Uh, in the remake of the theme by John Carpenter, he played Childs at the end. If you haven't told mm-hmm. a picture of him, but he played Maquis in a redreaming of the Three Opera, which was set in Harlem in New York in the 1930s. And instead of being in the, you know, England and Queen Victoria's messenger arriving to save Mac Pete, it was LaGuardia's messenger. The moon over Soho transferred to Solo in New York, and the set around this redreaming of Bertolt Brecht's uh, Penny Opera uh, was genius. Polly Peachum was played by Kay McClellan, and she had blonde pink curls, and they would her in so much white light coming down on that blonde wig to show contrast between her being this kind of porcelain doll and Matisse as this dark major criminal in New York City. But they spent $800,000 on that set. I mean, was, there was a right. electric chair to, elect, to electrocute Matisse that went 30 feet it was on, a, on a pole, went 30 feet up in the air while he was singing his final soliloquy. And then at that moment, the stage opened up in the 1933 cream-colored leathered convertible Packard rolled towards the audience. It was, out, it was outrageous. That's yeah, amazing. So the Lions Theater was a great place to uh, become uh, a union actor because they, they, the properties, the costumes, the sets are unparalleled. And let me ask you, was it, was it from the Alliance that you then ended up doing Peter Pan? Is that where you exactly. next I was, went? I, yeah. I was doing the most imaginative Christmas performance that I've ever seen. Most people every year, including the Alliance Theater, they restage. Um, uh, the Christmas Carol, or, you know, uh, the Dickens uh, uh, Christmas show with the Scrooge. They do this every mm-hmm. year. They do it every year. But that one year, Fran Soter, who had been protege to uh, Stephen Sondheim, who had an amazing childlike imagination, got with the set designer, James Leonard Joy, who does the sets for the New York City, uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, not Carnival. How do you do? Well, they did, you know, with a big top, but he designed all those circus wagons and all of that. Anyway, he was the set designer for Peter Pan at the Alliance. And this set was so alive, so imaginative. It just brought out the best in you with uh, your performance. I had pompous friends moving around me as I 
and my pirate went to, you know, kidnap the, the Lost Boys. But it was amazing. I did it with Ann Morrison, who was in the original production of Merrily We Roll Along. But Stan, Stan, uh, uh, Fran Soder was getting ready to go to Miami to do a production of Peter Pan with Kathy Rigby. And there was whispers of her, because she was so good, that they would eventually take it to Broadway. And I said, I got it. I'd love to come with you. So I went down um, and performed Checo, which I had done at the Alliance Theater, in the summer of 1988, no, 89, summer of 89, at Miami Beach. You know, lived right on the beach, did performance. I gave everything. And every night, Kathy would come against the uh, stage left, come against the proscenium at stage left, wearing her coat, because she, her cloak, because she's getting ready to store board the pirate ship and, you know, and kill all the pirates. Um, she would get right against the proscenium and watch me do Checo's Fall, where, which happens in Tisa, the toughest, meanest, and this is why I love you, uh, Jasper, because you know how to play a mean guy and a, and a villain. <laughs> and so this, is, this pirate was the, the most cutthroat of them all. And so at this one moment, Captain Hook turns to Checo and says, Checo, fetch me the doodle-doo, meaning run down into the face of sure death because pirates, they are suspicious. And when they hear this crowing beneath the boat, the boat in the whole boat, they, they know that it's some kind of uh, ocean uh, specter that means them doom and, and horror. So he, of course, hears the voice, Captain Hook says, go and fetch me the doo-doo. And I would just fall apart and go, no, Captain, no, that's all to my knees, trembling, trembling all the way. And he takes all the hooks to my nose. Next day I go, all right. You know? And, and I'd run in and you hear a few seconds, ah! You know, of course, where Peter Pan has knocked me off. But um, she watched me do Checo's fall every night for over a month. Every night, mm. and every night, I thought I'm getting ready to get fucking fired from this show. He said, "Why is she come, <laughs> why is she taking that position to watch me do this?" And what she was doing was she would see, "Can we do that every night for eight shows a week for the next two and a half years?" And wow. uh, I guess she was a bit right. So when it was all over, and you can imagine, it was the funniest thing performing in Miami Beach because all the men there were just all had, had plastic surgery and implants to give themselves a chip. You little dimple in their their cheeks. So we would all go down and get into the ocean because of the water of Miami is very healing and that's warm and it's salt. So after you've been swimming and you get a little bit in your nose or just a little bit that you know you take in your mouth, the salt is very good for someone who's been singing and acting so much. So we would go down a group of us against these guys all had to stand up by the outdoor bar <laughs> looking down <laughs> because they couldn't come into the sun to swim with the stars. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're, wow. we're all swimming. Of course, we're bonding. We're, we're telling stories. It's amazing. It's great. We're in the middle of the, uh, the warmth. And like, oh, shit, you can look like I see these men. <laughs> right. Desperate to be with us. They can't join. They're going to start to swell. Yeah, but anyway, she, after it was said and done, after they had all auditioned and going crazy trying to get in the next show, I wasn't. I just put Checo. I had just done it in an amazing production alliance. So I brought all of that back, even though they were all doing something else. And when it was all over with, we were out at an outdoor uh, um, pool late at night. It was the last night. We were all leaving Miami. And all of a sudden, Kathy Rigby and her husband, Tom McCoy, walked right up to me and they said, we're doing the national tour of Peter Pan. The auditions will be October 13th in Los, in Los Angeles. You've been wonderful. We would love to see you there. And I said that, and they both turned to walk away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, 
I had to go to Los Angeles and grueling series of auditions because the choreographer didn't know me. She had fallen in love with me, but the star and her husband had. And, right. uh, you know, I got, I, I, when I left coming home to Georgia, Athens, there was, there was that earthquake in 1989 in San Francisco. Oh, God, yeah. As the plane took off, the uh, pilot says, there's been an earthquake in San Francisco and Oakland. I'm like, oh, my God. So I got home. I actually ignored an invitation to do Annie Get Your Gun at the Alliance Theater because I was hopeful that that would be successful. So I got home and I opened the mail saying, we don't hear from you by this date. Consider your contract with Annie Get Your Gun. No, and boy. So I was like, oh, my God, I lost this show. You know, that knowing. And then my mother came down the hall and she said, how did it go? I said, I don't know. I made it to the last group of 12 guys and they said they'd call us in a week or two. And I just don't know. My mother said, I know. They called and said, you got the job. Oh, my goodness. So they had called my mother while I was in the air. So they tell Calvin he's going to Neverland. So it was it was everything you can imagine, you know. If everything well, I wanna, imagine. I wanna, I wanna jump in and tell everyone that um, Kathy Rigby, for all our young listeners, was a Olympic oh, yeah. gym was an Olympic gymnast. She was kind of like the Mary Lou Retton before, you know, uh, of the six late sixties. But um, Kathy and her husband, you know, had a great. I don't know. Do they still have their theater in Orange County? Oh, here. absolutely. McCor- McCor Rigby Entertainment. They, they're still producing shows. They just did uh, Grumpy Old Men with Ken Page and Kathy playing the neighbor. So, yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's La Morena. No, La, La, Mar- La Morada. Yes, La Morada. That's La Morada. That's where they're located. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, they're they still, do, they, they they got do a, amazing, they got beautiful productions. Yeah, beautiful productions there. Well, see, yeah. I mean, so... Ralph, so Ralph grew, Ralph grew up in Los Angeles, and then he decided to move to New York. So, what year, Ralph, did you go to New York? Uh, 1979, after I graduated wow. from college. Wow, you were you were right there when they were doing a chorus line, which is my favorite. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, oh, that's one of my favorites too. The chorus line is my show. As, oh. You know, Hamilton is for this generation, but. My show is, for my generation, of course, there's other musicals I love, and my favorite oh. being Gypsy, but uh, the, the show that nurtured me when I was in that, that period of awakening and development, developing into a uh, fully formed artistic being, a chorus line was there for me. Oh, just, oh just, my goodness. And, you know, and what's so rich about that show is it's nothing but uh, dancing, singing, acting. There's no set. <laughs> you know, and you really, you've got to really write something. The music by Marvin Hamlish must be evocative because there's nothing to look at. And I think Linda well, uh, Miranda took that in consideration with the set for mm-hmm. uh, Hamilton. Hamilton. Because if it, was, if it was anything that was not, you know, right for that thing, it wouldn't work. All of it had to work without a set. <laughs> Ralph, did you, Ralph, yeah, well, did, you yeah, know, yeah. did you know Michael Bennett, Ralph, at all in New York? Did you have any... I I didn't know him personally. I um, like you, Calvin. I loved a chorus line. I had the album, and yeah. I remember in college, yeah. I graduated from Pomona in '79. So from '77 to '79, I would play those songs over and over and over again, and of course knew every song, right? So yes, yes, yes. And it was the same for me in The Wiz and Andre De Shields. When no, I, and yes, I, yes, yes. Well, the, well, well, Stephanie Mills, that voice. Yes. <laughs> Stephanie Mill blowing out home. Oh my God! You right. know, you know yeah. that audition when she auditioned for uh, the Wiz. She went. It was like final day. Her brother took her there, insisting that she go. She went and blew out some gospel number. They all sat there, and then she, you know, they, uh, they said thank you, Stephanie. She walked out of the room. She said, "See, it's a waste of time." 
And they got, they got on the train and went back home because this is before cell phones. And when they got home, there was a message on their answering machine saying, where did you go? Come back. We want to talk to you. <laughs> and it was like, said, we want you to be Dorothy. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, oh that's how Stephanie Mills became. Wow. She sang oh, and walked it. out and left. <laughs> and where did you go? <laughs> talk about um, Jasper, like you say, you know, just audition and forget about it. She really did. It was like. Bye. Yeah. Right. Just leave yeah. it. Yeah, leave yeah. it at Just the door. Out. Leave it. Leave it on the floor and walk out. You know. And yeah. think about it. Remember, like you're saying, we had. Um, we didn't have cell phones. We had, maybe we had a pager then, but yeah, there were yeah, no yeah. email. Yeah. No emails. Yeah. You know, probably yeah, pay, yeah. pay. So she left. Pay phone. And she, yeah. Yeah. And she had a, a recording. I first went to New York when I got uh, my first tour, which is right before. Peter Pan started in 89. This was in 86. I came to New York and got in a big tour of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes at Morgan Fairchild. This thing had 30 Broadway stars in it, including the woman who played Marion Harrelson, who was, um, no, not that. That's, I think, the lady from Happy, Happy Days. I can't think of the actress who Marian. played music. Uh, that's Marion Ross. Got it. Got it. Marion Ross. Marion Harrelson was a woman who had been, been in, wait for it, 32 Broadway musicals. Okay. <laughs> she was just, this old de- Green Damon, she was perfect playing Lady Deepman. Uh, but it also had P.J. Benjamin in it, who got the Tony Award from a sophisticated lady. It had John O'Hurley, Her- who was the MC on Family Feud. It had uh, played Morgan Glovich. It had P.J. Benjamin from Sophisticated Lady. Uh, Deborah Phelan from uh, uh, Lacage. Uh, uh, and Debbie Shapiro, opposite Morgan Fairchild, who went on to win the Tony Award for Jerome Robbins Broadway. So this thing, Peter Fitch, who played uh, Rooster in the original Annie. This show was so star-studded. I can't I even get to Robert Ray, uh, uh, who was in Oklahoma on Broadway and is a big cabaret artist now in Atlanta. I was traveling the nation with some of the biggest names in the industry, and also we were all doing this kind of tour. It was amazing because at one point we performed in a lot of amphitheaters, including Starlight in Kansas City. I just remember the conversations on the bus taking us back to our hotel, which was in downtown uh, Kansas City. But the kind of feeling that you would have on a bus riding through part of middle America, I immediately connect with like, jazz performers who traveled in. Mm. You, know, you, you, know, you were going to the hotel, you were leaving the venue, and sun was setting. You could see the Art Deco panels uh, above Kansas City, which is a celebration of Art Deco architecture. If you're into it, go to Kansas City. Anyway, but going back and just listening to all of it, everyone talked. Peter Fitch, who uh, won, the, I think, it won the Tony Award for uh, playing Rooster in Annie, uh, 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 with the you know song Easy Street. Um, so I took attack lessons from him while we were out on the road. So this thing, that one show was so sensational because, and all kinds of stars came to see it because Morgan Fairchild was playing uh, um, uh, the, uh, the Lorelai Lee role. And right. Yeah, it was amazing. So that was in 86. So that was my first experience in New York. I come to New York, not to audition, but we rehearsed there before we went around the, the nation. Well, tell everybody, Calvin, talk to the young actors listening mm-hmm. about you know you, you the bus and truck as they call it i mean you you yeah. had such a illustrious all these years that you were you were touring you really didn't have like you didn't have a need to put down roots in one city because you would be out on the road and back onto another production um, yeah, and those those things that that um kind of settling has happened to a bit here cuz i have a home in eugene i've been here for 10 years 
Uh, right. At my age, uh, I don't see myself doing any long national tours, but uh, not to cut from the past, but to cut to the future right now. I just came back from Maui uh, yesterday uh, from doing Songs of a New World, you know, of course, written by um, – What's his name? I'll say his name is. I got to that Jason Robert Brown. I always put that last name Robert Jason Brown, but it's Jason Robert Brown who wrote the last five years parade, the bridges of Madison County. And he's right now developing his new musical, Farewell My Concubine. And he writes in a really amazing way. Uh, the music's beautiful. The lyrics are evocative. Uh, we were. I was directed by David Johnstone, and the musical director was by Bonnie Jerome. And with the the way that they they they're doing productions there, and I would say this to all your guests: if you are in the Hawaiian Islands and you so happen to find yourself in Maui, check out performances with the Maui Academy of Performing Arts. You, you won't be disappointed. I did the Hunchback of Notre Dame there in 2017. Once again, directed by David Johnstone, terrific director. He actually out here in Oregon got his master's in acting and drama from the University of Oregon. So did Fritz Holtz. Fritz Holt, who directed uh, me in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, who was a stage manager, but then he became a director. He produced Angela Lansbury in her world tour of Gypsy, which started in the West End of London, and then she stayed all around America. And I saw her do it in 1979 at the uh, Atlanta Civic Center. And watching Angela Lansbury play Rose, it was, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And her daughter, Deirdre Shaw, was Gypsy Rose Lee. Um, mm, so, oh, yeah, wow. um, Fritz Holt and the director David Johnstone both are graduates in the theater department here at the U of O. It's a small planet. But I just did songs for a new world. I, I performed the role of Man 2. And it's a four-person uh, a musical. It was filmed live stream, and it broadcast last week in Hawaiian Standard Time hours. So no one could stay up, but hold your horses. It's now being loaded up for pay-per-view, and it should be uh, ready in the next few days, and if you want to see a fabulous production by a wonderful company named, named the Maui Academy of Performing Arts, they have many benefactors and have such a supportive, creative team there. Um, I would highly suggest taking in some of their shows. I did Hunchback, and I just last week did a, a song for New World. So I'm really blessed in my life with my age that I'm still able to to work and, and find new things and and just well go in you know what ways. what what you're a testament of is you have mm-hmm. you know you've always gotten work based on your work and work work has gotten you more work and like you mentioned this one guy was a stage manager and then he became a director and you said yeah. to me one time you really never had to rely on having an agent or a manager because you just got jobs came to you based on work now do you do you think do you guys think that's still the case like today in say oh, new no. york oh, no. If, 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 no, no. i think that if you have ambitions of like you know going you know as far as you could go and even making it to hollywood and making the shows the only way to really do that is with um, a, a management team absolutely i get it I just, for me, and that would be lovely if something like that could start happening, but for me, it's always been about the art. It's always been about sure. giving a character a beginning, a middle, and end. And a lot of times people say, well, why don't you do film? I said, well, I'm not adverse to doing it. But the one thing I do know with the things that I filmed, whether it be a national tour of a commercial while I was in Canada, this stuff is stop and start, stop and start, 
uh-huh. uh, reassembled in a different way. We're going to film the ending right now. Right, <laughs> right. You've already been raped. We'll go back and film that later. Right? Okay. <laughs> but at this point, at this point, I don't want to see any of that because we're going to film that in two days. So that idea of taking a story and just, I mean, uh, uh, the action of a, of a piece and disassembling it, it's why I'm a film aficionado. I love the films. I even go so far as putting cold cream on my face and eating popcorn during the Oscars. <laughs> this is like, I to watch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were Joe Crawford all in, the in pajamas. Okay. In pajamas. Okay. In pajamas, a popcorn, and a face full of cold cream. And I know you okay. wake up. In, I know you wake up in the morning with a sink full of ice, and you just plunge your hands in that ice and bring it up to your face, darling, and say, "Good morning, Galvin. Good morning, world." I love it. My favorite is um, the, the film Sunset Boulevard. Watching oh. glor- glor- for what you just described, watching right. Gloria Swanson go through all that grueling torture to make herself look young before she drove back to the studio. (laughs) 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 I go back and watch it. They're like slapping her and slapping her in towels and putting her in bathtubs full of ice. You know, anything to bring back that youthful glow. (laughs) 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 And you know, when she gets to the lot, all they want is her car. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Have you never seen Sunset Boulevard? Oh, Oh, yes. Many times. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's fabulous. Uh, Glenn Close is getting ready to film it. Uh, I know. It's going to be hard, amazing. Hard, hard it because of COVID-19. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so after, she, uh, was, I, she was so then, great go in ahead, the uh, mu- – well, Glenn was so great in the musical, you know, the stage production as well. Um, uh, quick little side note. Ralph knows that for many years – Faye Dunaway was our next door neighbor and she do you remember guys when she was supposed to take over for Glenn Close she was going to yeah. step in step into the role and play uh replace Glenn Close and Andrew Lord in, in Weber re, yes and Andrew Lord in Weber sunset. fired or, or was that yeah in sunset yeah oh, and, and Andrew okay, so, but what happened well apparently you know after she rehearsed for a number of weeks um, about two weeks before opening, and remember they they were paying her a bloody fortune, and they had already yeah. pre-sold tickets. He yeah. fired her. He fired her ass, and um, she sued, and of course never could reveal how much money. But quick little story. Years later, I was working on a movie called MacGruber, and Will Forte, the the lead actor, he was sitting at rehearsal one day. Okay, so Will played, you know, the lead, and he was telling us about yeah. when he he used to be the 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 Manny. He was Faye Dunaway's son, Liam's like Manny, nanny, you know. That's great. Care of That's him. great. And one day she I asked him to go. She asked him to go out and clean out the inside of her her car, the the glove compartment, yeah. and and he just he was cleaning it out, and he found a cassette, and it said Sunset Boulevard rehearsals. And so he took the he stole the tape. Basically, he kept it. Oh my God! And years later, yeah, when he got the when he got the job on Saturday Night Live, they he, yeah. he took it took it to work one day and he played it, and it sounded like cats being skinned alive. <laughs> on, and and they laughed. And every time a new host would come on for that week, they had to sit down yeah. and they'd say, "Will, Will, play the Faye Dunaway tape." And they mm. said it was the wor- the worst thing you could ever imagine. And I had bought tickets <laughs> to see that, but <laughs> oh so my I'm, god! 
that's an example where, you know, well, what do you think, Calvin, about the productions where they, you know, they bring in, like, say, the Morgan Fairchild to, to sell tickets? Or they bring in the TV well, film name, you know, who maybe not, well, who maybe I mean, like, doesn't have well, the that, chops or the experience. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes they really do. Like that uh, production of Gentlemen for Blondes, John O'Hurley, who was the MC on Family Feud for years before Steve Harvey, he sang beautifully, and he was a television right. on, on soap operas. I worked yeah. with a, a big soap opera star. Her name was Victoria Mallory. She played yes. Leslie, the concert pianist Another, on, on Another World. On, uh, 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 no, the, was it? Yeah, no, it was Young and the Restless, was it? Young and the Restless. Oh, she oh was, yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. She, she, let me tell you, uh, uh, Victoria Mallory, she's dead now from cancer. I know, she but passed I, away. You, every once in a while, you'll come across a star that is all that and the bag of chips and pork rinds. Let me tell you. Yeah, she yeah. She not only could sing, she could dance, like you would believe. She could play the concert piano and she could act. Doing My Fair Lady with her was like, and then I also did it with Marla Schaffel, who was Jane Eyre on Broadway. So I did it with a lot of women. I did a tour of My Fair Lady, a lot of tours. The last tour that I, I was in, which was ruling, a friend of mine told me, I was leaving Neverland. Her name was Shaw, Shaw Ramsey. She was married to a guy named Barry Ramsey, who he was in On Your Toes on Broadway, and he since has died. And she was a dancer also. They lived in L.A., and when she found out, because I had done Peter Pan with her husband, when she found out I had been cast in the, the next tour, uh, by uh, the, uh, the Nederlanders and the uh, companies in New York that I was getting ready to do with Vita. She said, Calvin, be very careful with that show. I couldn't perform for four years afterwards. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm getting ready to go do this amazing drama. I'm, I'm, I'm escaping Neverland. <laughs> it's going to be about some people living, you know, surviving in Argentina. It's going to be like, you know, this big opera. She was absolutely right. It was the kind of thing when you do that show and perform that show over and over. It all starts with the with the requiem at the very beginning, and you're blowing mm-hmm. kisses into a coffin as you represent the the, you know, the lines that circled that Sterling Silver coffin back when she died. They had the the, the clouds were so deep they had to sustain the people with army field kitchens, and I mean the procession went on for days. Not even wow. Kennedy got something. The com- commerce stopped for 15 days. They just didn't do anything. They put black flags on everything. You know, they're, they're actress, uh, and that takes us where we are today, uh, who hadn't learned the lines you'd like to hear, as she said to her enemies in his brilliant sound, uh, score. Evita was a really, really hard show. And afterwards, I didn't perform for four years. Because <laughs> Shaw Newman told me, she said, listen, after you do that show, you're not going to perform for a while. And it's just it's so, you know, a lot of whiteouts, a lot of information about how these people were, you know, the songs led to how these peasants were begging Sancho Avita to save them. Meanwhile, the two of them were, you know, like a couple I know right now, were robbing the culprits, hiding uh-huh. that money in, in European bank accounts. Ava Perone's fame rainbow tour of Europe wasn't so much about her walking around and, and, and the new Dior's that she had discovered. It was about hiding German and Nazi gold in accounts that has still not been accounted for. You know, right. so that country was rich, was rich on beef before they you know, moved anything, but they had the world, one of the world's largest diamond reserves. Wait for it. There are no diamond mines. I mean, not gold, gold reserves. There are no gold mines, but they've got all that gold. So, you know, we, you, you found the corruption. I met a doctor who was met uh, Juan Perón when he was on his way back to Argentina uh, to, be, to participate in trying to be elected president again, and he was carrying the body of Ava Perón. 
and they would keep this mummy's body either on the dining room table or somewhere upstairs in the house. I mean, it's just shocking. And at one wow. point, Wanderone had his mystic to lie down on top of. Uh, he had uh, his second wife, Isabella, to lie down on top of. We don't know if she was in the coffin or not, but on top of her. And as she was lying on top of the corpse of Ava Perone, which was embalmed like a shoe, his mystic walked around the table chanting incantations, hoping that the magical vibrations of Evita would prove transferable. They did not. Uh, when we got down there, they ousted Wanderone, and then Isabella ran for president and won, and then they ousted her. And then finally, oh, 13 years later, they presented the body of Ava Duarte Perone to a group of her brothers and sisters, and they finally interned her remains into that graveyard in Buenos Aires. It's all more shocking than you can even imagine. And because of what I'm describing, after I did the Vita, I didn't, I didn't perform for four years. <laughs> it's like, well, let me, let, me, let me ask you, So, because, you know, at, as actors, we have many times when we're not working. Have you had right. what's called, do you, have you had what's called the survival jobs or, you know, well, the, even, the jobs? Even more than that, on my deg- I, what happened to me, listen to what happened. Uh, while I was doing a Vita, and there was no reflection on any specific person but i started to like feel like it was very empty and vapid we were doing the same thing mm-hmm. over and over every night it just i wasn't being fulfilled intellectually so what happened right. is when i was uh I, I i was undergraduate at the university of georgia but because i was working on the road doing shows i was slowly taking correspondence class class here class there class blah, blah, blah. so at one point when i was taking a class i worked at the library of the university of georgia and i fell in love with the art folio as I was learning of the great sculptors, architects, and painters, I was in. And I realized I wanted to become an art historian because mm. it's, it's just magnificent. And so I started studying art history. But then I, I was back on the road. After, during the Vita, I realized this world is vain and vapid. I would mm. run into the dressing room with a newspaper that says, my God, a bomb just went off in the, in the Golan Heights. And both Palestinian and his... And, uh, 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 Israeli children are killed. And one of the actors literally putting on an eyeliner said, oh, my God, that's, that's terrible. Have you seen my new headshot? And they hold up their new headshot. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly that's what happened. So, like, that's, okay. so, that's so L.A., actually, yeah. But it's so, and then also, you know, they, you could talk about nothing. They get to the gym every day. They went to the yeah. gym every day. They went to, and we all were going to the gym every day, but there had to be more in life. So I, the, the there that you wish you the excitement you think you're going to experience when you get there, that happens. But then it's like, okay, you did that. Do you need to do it again? Do you need it again? And so after doing it again and again and again, I was like, okay, I'm back on this kind of treadmill. So I needed more. And I ended right. up leaving show business, going back to the University of Georgia, and I won a scholarship to be, uh, to be one of the 25 students from UGA to study abroad at Oxford. So I got to study abroad at Oxford, and there I blossomed. Not only did I engage in everything, have conversations at, in the debating uh, uh, union, because everyone's coming around, uh, Gore Vidal, um, Charlton Heston, uh, uh, John Waters, uh, they're, they're all just coming, every, some Michael Moore, they're all coming. And of course, I would stand up and ask questions of them. I asked poor Charlton Heston. He was reading, oh my God, Charlton, that was so sad. He was at the end of his life, Charlton Heston's at Oxford, reading from a teleprompter. His wife was there, a little sad to pay. 
And he read a, a speech prepared for him by the National Rifle Association. Oh, and you my. can see these, these British kids sitting there with their uh, Planet of the Apes album, uh, you know, oh, or my God. And Green. They wanted to talk about making a Planet of the Apes, but he read a, a, a ridiculous speech where he told NRA. them. He said, wait, listen to this. He said, the people, the only kids at Oxford, the people of of Los Angeles are safer tonight than the people in Lincolnshire County because oh my of God. our guns. <laughs> and I'm like, so these uh, kids had nothing. So finally I decided I had to stop it. I raised my hand. I said, oh, Mr. Heston, thank you for coming to speak to the young uh, scholars of Oxford University. I said, you have cited many fights tonight about uh, what possibly happened in Lincolnshire County. I said, but I have some facts for you. There are presently metal detectors in kindergartens in America, <laughs> and every you know, four seconds, someone is killed by gun violence. What, what are your plans, and what do you say to these staggering statistics? I gave a bunch of them. And he, everyone in the room just like, started beating the floors with their feet, you know. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, someone oh sends a, a, a missile into this frigate. So I said it, I just sort of said, what, what are the plans of the NRA to, uh, to dismember, uh, dis, disassemble the metal detectors at the entrance of kindergarten doors in America? He said, well, uh, yeah, thank you for asking that question. And because of the horror of mass killings and shootings in America, the NRA has developed Eddie the Eagle. <laughs> Eddie the Eagle is a, a large Disney-like character with a big yellow beak. Kind of looks like someone that you know in D.C. if you think about it. But he looks mm-hmm. like he's kind of hooked beak. He's got this yellow feather that looks like hair. And he's like this kind of exaggeration of a giant bald eagle. eagle. And he said, that's why Eddie the Eagle is going from classroom to classroom, telling the young people, see guns, don't touch, get teacher. And I told my mother that. And my mother said, my God, my star is out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she loves all this, so you know, Ben Hur. You know, I actually yeah. talked to Gore Vidal about Ben Hur. Hur, he told me a lot. And about getting around the censors of Hayes during that time of the codes where you couldn't, you couldn't do anything. You had to stand right. there and have a Bible in your hand. <laughs> you thought about kissing, you know, cut! Um, so so yeah, after, uh, after, after you finished so that said, tape. After, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Let me get back. So, uh, get me into the tangent. What I did while I was doing the pizza, I started going to all the art galleries. Whenever we go to a city, from Toledo to San Diego, to I was finding all the great treasures in America. And some of them are overwhelming, like in Dallas. They have a Gutenberg Bible upstairs in a vitrine in a room by itself for the public to go and look at. I'm like, oh my God, there's, you know, there are only eight of these in the world. Um, right. And one is in the New York, in, in the uh, Dallas Public Library. So, you know, museums like the Kimball and Fort Worth, I would go there and see paintings by Burne Jones and, and the art that I was becoming to be attracted to, which is, you know, art since the, I guess it, for me, it started in the Middle Ages, the 15th century and, for, and forward. And I started doing, by postcards at these places, I was going around the country, and I'd put them all up in my dressing room, I'd light some tea candles, I'd put some, uh, a bowl of mints or nuts out and bottled water, and I would invite the actors to come view uh, the retrospective of Goya and Man Ray. And they would all come in and go, oh, God, this is so interesting. What's that painting all about? It's like, oh, that's Goya at the end of his life. See how he paints himself dead. 
and his doctor, Dr. Descartes, is holding him. He's full of life, as you see, just the position between life and death. You know, we were doing this. I was doing this to entertain myself. I was like painting the gallery of, of postcards from whichever museum I had just visited. If it was late, filled with Fabergé eggs, that night a gallery would be filled with reproductions of Fabergé eggs. So I did this for myself. So finally I went, why did you now go back to school? So I went back to school, found myself at Oxford. Then I applied for Oxford's graduate school because I was graduating that semester. And um, I didn't get in. And someone told me, why don't you apply to Cambridge? And I applied to Cambridge. And Cambridge is a unique thing. I, I'm, a, I'm a devout believer in the spirit that created me. And mm -hmm. he had facilitated things for me to make things happen. Like, case in point, when John Michelle, who is a, a important name in the history of art at Cambridge, saw my application, he immediately became excited because he was working on uh, the image of black in Western art. And when he saw this black guy and saw that I had everything I needed, including my time at Oxford, he reached out to me, but he didn't tell me that. He said, what he told me was, you need to do an original dissertation, and it can't be about an American because there's no one on, on a staff who can help you with that. So it had to be a European artist or you know, someone in this department. So what he was trying to do was to get to, to maneuver me to saying, hey, why don't I be your, your, your student? You supervise me and tell me the way to go. So once he put it before me, I had to figure out the way I wanted to go, and I realized that I wanted to write on the pre-Raphaelites and Dante Gabriel Rossetti, namely his models. Uh, it was my belief of all the things I was reading about them and how they were, they were first washerwomen, and now they were some of those celebrated women in, in visual culture. That it was like a Cinderella story, uh, like you wouldn't believe. And I realized, in realizing that it was a Cinderella story, I figured out that they were the world's first supermodels. So with that original idea of how, how uh, my argument of how the, the pre-Raphaelite models of, of Dante Gabriel uh, Rossetti and a few others of uh, pre-Raphaelite painters as their muse made them so famous and popular. Even Gilbert and Sullivan, when they wrote Iolanthe, they designed the, the maiden's outfit to look like Jane Morris who was one of uh, Rossetti's most known seen models. You mentioned uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. When I was at Cambridge, the um, Royal Academy, a show was supposed to come from Greece, and they reneged. It didn't send the art. So you know, in a panic, the Royal Academy got in touch with Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, and he lent his vast collection of pre-Ralph-like paintings. And it's one thing when you see a, a collector finally show the world, which has been, you know, not seen forever or ever, you were seeing paintings of these women by Rossetti that had not, they were in uh, the catalog of his art, but there were no images or reproductions of what they may look like because of the time period they were sold and never put on market again. And so he brought up all these treasures that were just, I mean, filled every room. So That's that amazing. was my dissertation to get myself into Cambridge. And... You know, I mean, I could go, I could go deeper into, you know, dinners with Prince Charles, singing for Prince Philip. That moment right there was the be one of the best moments of my life. Because mm. I was, it was Thanksgiving 2003. They invited all the American students who were at Cambridge to come and have a Thanksgiving dinner. And, but also what it was about were the, the Gate Scholars. They had sent out the invitation uh, of this affair at the Graduate Union. And... Once you got there, you realized that you were seated, you're waiting for dinner to start. There were 
about 400 students there in another room. The Gates scholars were there. So they all filled in, and Prince Philip was with them because the royals come around with royal universities a lot because they, they, they have to raise money. In 2000, Parliament made the smart decision of going, wait a minute, you're Oxford and Cambridge and Edinburgh. Get your own money. And they cut them <laughs> off in public funds. So the royals come around a lot, you know, asking American and Chinese students to leave and hold everything that they'd like. You know, the entire state, you know, the Cambridge, you know, they, they're doing what they do. It's been there for over 800 years. Anyway, um, where was I in this story? Well, no, we were, we were, we were, I was going to say Philip. So uh, they come up to me and they say, we want to do a little thing. We would like to sing the American National Anthem for all the, 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 all the people here, including you. They're from America. She said, uh, we talked about it because we've heard you sing. There's a young girl who sings beautifully. She has a soprano. And Charlie Smith is a beautiful alto. Why don't you all get together and, and work this thing out? So we got together. They were two small, beautiful ladies. I'm now lifelong friends with Charlie Charlie Smith, so it was an I. She lives in uh, New Hampshire now with her uh, husband. But she's half British, half American. But she has a very distinctive British accent, even one of, of kind of London. Uh, we rehearsed, and I started <clears throat> the singing with the beginning of the anthem. And then after, after I got through, oh, say, can you see? Then we, they blur, the, the next girl will come in, the next girl will come in. So as I'm singing the entrance, with everyone out watching us sing this thing, I go, oh, say, can you see? And all of a sudden, Prince Philip jumps to his feet by himself. And he looked so proud. So, man, you could almost see epilepsy appear on his shoulder. It was like this thing that was in him since he was a young man. He didn't want to hear one of these anthems. He was compelled to stand up. So he stood up. And all of a sudden, you could see the students going, oh, shit, we better get up. And they all stood up. Wow. But watching the man whose son will be king, the prince consort, stand for my voice. That, that burned off every nightmare that I ever experienced in the Deep South, from people hurling all kinds of slurs at me. And that one moment, all of that disrespect was gone. Wow. Well, yes. listen, I want to talk quickly before we run out of time. I want to talk about yes. this next next chapter in your career and your life. Tell everybody – You've got this great home in Eugene, Oregon. I love the fact that you're here on the oh. Pacific Pacific Northwest with us. Um, we love what's it. This ne- what's this next chapter look like for you? Well, what's happening right now is I'm writing right now. I'm actually working on – I've been working on a musical about Burt Backrack for a while now. Oh, and wow. he's on board. I just have to keep writing it and fixing it and writing it and fixing it because some of your imagination, the fact that I've actually been on stage and – you know, almost been killed by sets. And, uh, you know, almost, <laughs> I almost died. I almost died on the stage of the Alliance Theater doing the Three Penny Opera, uh, sitting beside Kay McClellan, who was uh, starring in everything from City of Angels and, and uh, Into the Woods. She was playing Polly Peachum. I was playing the, uh, the Reverend Kemble, getting ready to marry Mackeith and Polly Peachum in the sewers of New York and not the sewers of London. And as we sat there frozen as these gangsters performed the Army song where they were regaling their heroic past, these, that, these um, panels come down that show that kind of socialist images of men going forward with a ball fist and a rifle in a hand, that kind of stuff. You know, it looked very much like, oh, it's like World War II kind of stuff. Anyway, as, at the end of the song, these batons fly up, off the, uh, uh, going straight up, but they're weighted with metal rods on the very bottom. And as it goes up, they become unbalanced, and both banners tilt, and the rods go <laughs> down right into the table, 
four inches from the top of both of our heads. Everyone in the audience screamed. They realized that it wasn't um, uh, meant to happen. And one of the gangsters ran and pulled it up and ran it off stage. The reason I tell you that story is as I read through my writings of the musical about Burt Backrack, uh, there are things that go, wait a minute, that has to work. So how do I do that costume change? So that's what's going on. I, I know how to do it, what needs to be done. It's just doing it that way. So that's, right. I've been working on that for a while. And there's also an opportunity that I might be, because we don't know when people are going to be able to perform again, mm-hmm. teach, teach um, an acting uh, class here at one of the local colleges. Uh, they've asked me to make an application, which I'm uh, so happy to do. And if I'm blessed, uh, in January, I'll be teaching beginning acting at a local college. And oh, my God. I have You'll be community. so great at I mean, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, if I can teach beginning acting, believe me. You know, where it deals with all of the stage direction. What's up stage right? What's down stage left? What, uh, what's the finale? What's the orchestra? What's the right. proscenium? You know, these things. You know, what's a monologue? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for it. I'm, I'm striving for it. And if it doesn't happen, that means that God wants something else to happen. So I'm feeling much encouraged because they have actually approached me and asked that I make this application. But, in fact, I'm smart enough to know that if someone comes in with a Ph.D. in acting from Notre Dame, <laughs> I get why they didn't choose me. So, but, you know, you put your best foot forward, and hopefully it will bring you a favorable return. Absolutely. Well, everyone, yeah, I want everyone to know that they can follow, uh, you can follow Calvin on Twitter. I love this. It's at Bernini2001, and Instagram is at Calvin.O.Smith, and he's also on Facebook. You can also. 007. Calvin.O.Smith007. I'm a, I, I, I'm a secret agent, you see. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yes, 007. Yes, yes, 007. yes. It would, it would help Change if off. I put my, my glasses on. That would help. Um, well, yes, Calvin, listen, I, we want you to come back on because we need about three hours with you. And uh, Absolutely. I mean, I haven't told you about the ghost of Ma Rainey there. Uh, oh, my God. Again. I want you. I want you to write a. I want you to write a book. I, I want a book. Well, you to come, know, I've to actually becoming. started making some notes because sometimes I sit up and go, "Oh my God, that happened!" Right. And, well, and we lived. And we lived to tell. Well, and, thank you and so we're, much, uh, And we're still here. We're still here. Damn it! Yes, we're all yeah. still here. So, That's uh, important. Yeah, we are still here. And we buried a lot of people. I mean, the way the AIDS epidemic uh, ravaged Hollywood and New York, I mean, it, it, it's really unfathomable. And that our leaders, much like this, uh-huh. took a long time to come around to say this is a virus that's killed people. I put a thing on Facebook right when it started. I said, you can see now that this virus, which has killed all these people, wasn't sent by God. You know, because I heard all kinds of preachers say that previous viruses were sent to kill those people in New Orleans. They preached it from the pulpit. And I told them now, it's like now that your aunt is suffering from it and, you know, your cousin down the street may have died from it, you see that this isn't a plague sent to kill you by God right now. So, yeah, oh, no, this isn't a plague, but that was. Yeah, Yeah, so it's unfortunate that uh, people were scorned and, thrown out of the apartments and fired from jobs. That's what the whole premise of the wonderful film by Zemeckis, Philadelphia. You know, you see this guy being fired because they realized he was living a lifestyle, a lifestyle that they didn't approve with. And 
okay, would you like to be treated that way? Right. I know. So, yeah, well, I you know, that, we've we lost so many artists. Well, like we, Ralph and I said in the beginning, you know, we feel like we've turned a corner that the democracy is is being saved at least. So let's try to get the get the car back on the tracks, and you know, yes. we're going to send Biden and Harris all our love. But listen, Calvin, it's been a, it's been great to, to talk to you and. Um, everyone, please follow Calvin on social media. We will find out as soon as we know when the uh, pay-per-view is going to happen with Songs yes, of yes, the yes. World. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll post that. We'll post that as well. Perfect. Yes, All Maui right, Academy listen. of Performing Arts. Thank you so much, uh, 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 Mr. and Mr. Cole. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So, thank you, Calvin. Thank you. you are a gem. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I must come back and tell stories of, uh, of being backstage at the Schubert in New Haven and what happened there at midnight. Yes. Oh, oh, my God. Listen. We can't it, wait. I mean, it, it, it gives me chill. Have a wonderful day and keep doing Thank what you. you do. Don't change a thing. Bye, Thank Calvin. you, Calvin. Thank Take you. care. <laughs> wow. And that was just part one, Ralph. I know. Yeah, you know, I couldn't help but think you created Breaking the News and you used to have Entertainment Dish with Dara. I was like, there has to be something for Calvin because, like, just like already I want to hear about the backstage story at the Schubert Theater because, you know, I love stuff like that. Oh yeah, I mean that's why I was thinking. I I think Calvin has so this should be put into a a book for sure. And imagine him doing the audio books and getting. To I know, read the book. God, I just thought of it. yes, exactly. No, he was everything you said. He is a live wire, and it is very exciting to have someone unabashed like that going through life. You know, and and you know it's really heartwarming and refreshing to hear someone having a thriving career with no management and, you know, uh-huh. kind of just doing it like, well, yeah, I didn't really have time for that because I was on to my next show, you know, and I know, and, and, and that's not poo-pooing what you do as a manager or, or any agent oh, out no, there. Oh, no, no, absolutely Be- not. Because as he said, you know, yeah, to take the TV and film route, you do need that management team. You know, it doesn't always happen just you know, stepping along. I mean, it does to, with some people, but that's not, that's not usually the norm, but he's just refreshing like that because he, you know, like he said, he's always had this spiritual side to him that has always guided him and shown him the way. So it's, it was nice to hear all of that. Yeah. And what I loved about it, you know, it's, we didn't get too much into talking about being a gay black kid in the, in the South. And um, in many ways, it's like you, Ralph, you know how you talk about how your parents instilled all this confidence in you as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Calvin has a twin identical twin brother, by the way, who is a Calvin has a um, twin brother. Who's a preacher in Tucson, Arizona, who mm-hmm. we did not even talk about, but he comes from a very educated family and a family that, you know, also instilled great confidence in him. And uh, it's, it, what I love about him also is he's an example. What I was trying to ask is, I don't know if the kind of career he had, if someone starting today could have that career. And what I mm-hmm. mean by that is, 
it's even brought even theater now, even touring companies, even if you never want to do TV and film, it's such a corporate thing. And I don't know if those referrals work anymore. You know what I mean? Like, right. I know what you're saying. Even if Kathy Rigby referred him nowadays, he would have to still jump through like 20 different. Even back then he had to prove himself for the audition, you know, even though, even with Kathy and her husband, they couldn't say they were the stars and producer. They couldn't say we want him in the show. It was like, right. she, you know, it was a great story, you know, but I was like, they're saying, we'd really like to see you at the audition. I was like, where's the offer girl? You know? <laughs> well, and, well, and there's something to be said about being young also. Cause you know, when we're in our twenties and thirties, at least I was, I was all about, ambition it's like tell me you know i just tell me and i'll be there like he just mm-hmm. they may they may have said that to him like not knowing that he would actually get on a plane and fly to la you know so right a lot of it is his own chutzpah um but he's you know he's traveled the world and he's had this amazing career and i love the fact that he would be can you imagine like what a great acting coach who'd be in college for this young I, when he said that i thought oh god they, they'll be so lucky to have you but to your point you're right it probably is not the same kind of way it's just the way you say about tv and film it's like yeah you know there's it's not you don't have a quote anymore it's take it or leave it you know you know um, when i talked to you when i talked to you about when i started out here the way a casting director would just cast me on the show there oh, was no there was no going they, there was no even audition it was just, I, is, offer, is yeah. Jasper, can Jas? I have a little part next week. Can Jasper be on yeah. Mar- Married I mean, with Children? Look, you've just booked three TV shows. So, a man, and that that's during a pandemic with a billion self-tapes being submitted. But can you imagine if casting directors could do now what they used to do for you? Yeah. Back then? You'd be it's just amazing. like. You'd be working all the time. It would just be. And, and the sad fear. part is they do all they can do. You know, they can. All only, they can do. They're, they're so like hampered now. They've been reduced to basically like, I hate to say it, but they're like secretarial. They're just like putting lists together and submitting self tapes. You know, they don't, exactly. they don't get acknowledged and they don't, I don't feel like their opinion is as um, well respected. Matters as, as much. As matters as much anymore. You know, and yeah. I'm sure embarrassed and they feel badly when actors of their choice that they know can do it and have the experience and credits to do it gets overlooked by some newcomer because this is what corporate or the producer wants you know and uh so it is hard it's harder on everybody you know it's just like we are definitely in a new time it's like you know everything is still going to be upbeat and buoyant but a lot of people have to wake up, you know, like just listening to Barbara Ferrer, the health director, you mm-hmm. know, there's, you know, if people aren't more careful, we're going to have to go on another close down again. It's like, if people aren't more careful, they're not going to be careful. What's going to make them change now, Barbara, just do what they're you not need going to, to be. They're not going just, to be careful. Yeah. So just do make the clothes, the check down, stay at home, the new one, just start it now. It's like when they say, oh, we're going to be starting that on Saturday. It's like start it the fuck now, you know, or I see, you know, to give some people time to prepare. But it's like, no, California, for as progressive as we are, they're not let they're not using common sense again. It's like 
it's not going to get better. It's only getting worse. So start and the same the money. same people that were careful from the beginning will be the same ones being careful. The ones that were not careful are not going to change. Exactly. So it's so we're always in it's it's going to perpetuate itself until someone has the chutzpah to just go look. If you're out in the street past ten o'clock, you're getting arrested. You know, something drastic has got to happen. But well, remember, it's all politics. So Gavin Newsom has to think about being reelected. So it's all every governor has to think about what, how, who's going to vote for me or who's going to take it out against me when it comes time to be reelected. You know, and what a lot of people don't understand, yes, California is a blue state, but it's a heavy, heavy they, some of the powerful red cities in California are very wealthy. A lot of the Silicon Valley, where all the um, tech companies are, most of Orange County, you know, a lot of that is is uh, Republican and red. Hmm. You notice how Orange County, they're the, they're the main one that won't follow the rules. I know. You know? <clears throat> yeah. There's a restaurant, there's a Mexican restaurant in Orange County right now that prides itself on um, – they have a sign, wear mask, no service. And they violated all the rules. They, they've been fined over and over again, and they don't care. And they, they profiled them on Spectrum News uh, last week. And there they all, they interviewed the customers and like, it's my right as, a, as an American. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. And so there they are, Orange County. You guys, if you want to go... If you want to have a COVID Mexican meal, go on down to this restaurant in Orange County. I'll, you can Google it and find the find the name of it. Just don't get anywhere near Ralph and I. Yeah, that's what's really scary. That's why I'm always defending my plight, saying that everywhere I go, everyone's wearing a mask. Like I'd be really nervous if I was in a situation where I saw people weren't wearing them. You know, but <clears throat> at least everywhere I go, you yeah. Know, but anywho, you know, it's a it, you know she was saying because Chris, it's it's going to be hard for Christmas and New Year's because we might be on a lockdown then, mm-hmm. and you know they're saying don't even do anything for Thanksgiving. I it's easy for me to talk. You know what my lifestyle is with Rose right. and me, so it's easy for me to talk. But for people that have planned this for months ahead and now they have to tell on Helen and Uncle Bill like no, you can't come and we're canceling Thanksgiving. People, I guess, are not going to do that. It's just going to be a smorgasbord. But again, to me, it's just the selfishness of Americans, though. I mean, I hate to say it, like we are just we are just the most spoiled, rotten people. Sometimes, like we want it now, and we're not going to do, and we want to have our spirit. And Grandma wants to fuck Grandma. She, you know what, Grandma, <laughs> Grandma better keep her ass at home also, or she'll be. <laughs> You know, there are people in nursing homes right now that still have to be talked through through the glass, you know. You can't even go see them. So I just get so irritated. And and I'm going to close out the show by saying this. Look, all you people who still support Trump and you still want to say that the election is a fraud, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. We don't need your support. We just proved to the world that the Democrats can get a president without the fucking support of the Republicans. So all of you can go fuck yourself. And I don't give a fuck if you come over to our side ever again. I don't want to hear any more from you. Biden has won. So fuck the fuck off. You, you inbred, just, just fucked up people. Okay. 
But otherwise, Ralph, I thought that would be a good spiritual Christian way to end the show since I can't I post that on Facebook. Well, I think it's a vibrant way to end the show, and that's why it's called Your Show. So thank you for that. Um, they were impassioned words, words that a lot of people can really live by. And I did not mention decapitation one time. <laughs> Although I think you can read between the lines. Okay, know? yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Well, listen, Ralph, thank you, as always, for another great show. Everybody, we will be back next Thursday, same time, same place. And by the way, you can check out uh, BS Podcasts at, well, it's just, it's on right now, Mike Manning. And by the way, Ralph, I got to see Mike Manning on the Bay, and I also checked him out on on Days of Our Lives today, and he was fantastic. So everyone, support Support our guests when they come on, but better yet, support Ralph and I. We'll see everyone next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks for checking out One on One with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.